0: Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now last week I made an appeal to you about subscriptions and uh, I have to say you really rose to to the occasion because we had 3,000 new subscriptions thank you very very much for that it's very easy to do and it's entirely free you just go on and you press the subscription button and then next door there's one saying notifications that means that you get all the programs as they come up, so you won't miss anything. So uh, please do subscribe and get us to 100,000 by Christmas. Um, Now, I'm delighted that uh, my guest today is the author and journalist Peter Hitchens. Peter has been on the show a couple of times before and got some of our biggest audiences, so I'm thrilled that he's back uh, this time of year. Particularly, you're very much in demand, actually, Peter. Not that you always aren't, but uh, you've been quite on the media quite a lot, haven't you?
1: Not as much as I would have expected, given that at the beginning of the current crisis I was one of the very few voices in British media who was against what was going on. So far from that giving me a sort of monopoly position as someone who was in great demand, it didn't. Uh, Particularly the BBC, which uh, to begin with barely noticed my existence and has since then given me one or two sort of concessionary spots, but actually I think I've been on the BBC less right. during these past nine months than probably any other time since i started being on it at all. Uh, I think the, one of the things about the crisis has been the BBC's deep unwillingness to even acknowledge that there's an argument, mm-hmm. and therefore people like me are not welcome.
0: Do you think, uh, when you look at the BBC and for that matter, Sky and the others, they all seem to be singing pretty much from the same hymn sheet? You
1: know, the, only, the only striking exception has been talk radio, where I, I've been a welcome guest every week on mike grant's show which has been terrific a lot of people have uh, have listened to that and have taken some sort of comfort from it but in general uh, there has there seems to have been uh, pretty much everywhere a an acceptance uh, that what the government is doing is right that is making a correct and proportionate response to what is going on uh, i think that's uh, th- th- that's really absurd in a country which supposedly prides itself on having a diverse and competitive media that everybody is so diverse and so competitive that they all do the same thing the
0: polls seem to suggest that too don't they about the public
1: well i think uh, fear which is what this is fundamentally about is an enormously powerful propaganda tool and once you frighten people into thinking that they're in a genuine danger by taking certain precautions and behaving in certain ways, they can reduce that fear. They will probably do that, and I think whether the s- cynicism involved or not, I don't know. But the fact is that undoubtedly, a Sage a- advised the government. I have a pinned tweet on my Twitter account quoting the document uh, that the, the that if they wanted more compliance, they would have to frighten people more. I, I put it in very basic, clear English, but that's what the advice from Sage said, and they've followed it, it seems to me.
0: Yes, I, I started out really by thinking, well, these polls are very suspect. But then what you notice is people walking down the street wearing masks in the street when actually that's never even been suggested so no. far as I know. No,
1: no, it's extraordinary. People go far beyond what might be expected. Mm. Uh, and there is a, if they've come across somebody not wearing one of these garments, then quite often there's a scene rather like uh, the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers where <laughs> they, they look at you <laughs> as if you were some kind of uh, alien monster. <laughs> and I can often feel people tempted to, um, to give me a stern talking to yeah. And then I hope they're untempted by the prospect of getting a pretty stern talking to you back so they don't. But I, it, I think that uh, the, it, there is a really cultish Mm. Uh, and highly superstitious aspect of this. Now I I am myself superstitious, I admit to it, there's no point denying it, I I don't walk under ladders. I don't ride my bicycle on Friday the 13th. It's silly, I know it's silly, but I do it. It's motivated by the fact that the world is an uncertain place and I think, well, why tempt it? Mm. Uh, But I don't, I wouldn't even begin to try a rational justification for it or try to persuade anybody else to do it. But almost all of the things which we're being asked to do are basically superstitious. There isn't any sound uh, experimental work uh, which actually suggests that any of it is, is either proportionate or any use. And, uh, but people are, are, are plunging into it as if they had all joined an enormous Jonestown cult uh, and were completely, uh, completely enraptured by it.
0: But do you think people in this country, for example, would once not have done
1: that? I like to think not, uh, but I'm not sure. I, have to say I, think, I think fear is a very powerful motivator. What we've never had before uh, is a generation brought up almost entirely in a highly conformist electronic culture. Mm. Uh, electronic media make people conformist. They make them laugh at the same jokes, uh, read the same books to the extent that they do have the same tastes, because mm. it very quickly imposes on people an idea of how they ought to behave. People want to fit in, mm. uh, and none of us is innocent of in that and so first of all television did this and then color television redoubled it and then when the internet came along there was an even more powerful conformist force so i think possibly more so but i wouldn't like to say that uh, that, the great roast beef fed britons of another generation would have been any less responsive to similar pleas if they had, had, had the the levels of propaganda directed at them uh, that we have, and there is incessant propaganda. I'm very aware of it because I resist it. Mm. Uh, the, the announcements at railway stations, the constant posters, the uh, the advertisements in the newspapers, all pushing the same thing over and over again. Has there ever in peacetime been so much money and effort expended on propaganda by any government in a free country?
0: Mm. When you first started talking about this, I suppose it would be in March, uh, you were very much, you, your position, I don't mean to uh, get it wrong, was it just simply that lockdowns had, there was no proof that lockdowns worked? Well, my first, my so first was,
1: position, which has never altered, had been that whatever the, the problem was, the re- government's reaction was disproportionate to it. Mm-hmm. So the, the nof- no evidence had really been put forward which justified the severity of the, the self-harm uh, which the government was doing to the country and it is an enormous self-harm and ev- evidently so in many, many ways. Now, there are circumstances when you do have to harm yourself for the general good. I didn't think there had been and, and since then, I, I haven't thought that there, would, th- there has been enough evidence to do that. And one just, I examined s- several things. One of the things I examined was the, the record of Imperial College as a predictor, uh, which is not good. and Everybody's discovered this now, but to write it back in March was quite heretical. The other thing was simply to, to look and what the figures actually meant, and the work of people like Professor John Ioannidis, who was casting doubt on the levels of, of, uh, of fatality being claimed for the disease, and the, uh, also the extraordinary, almost prophetic uh, warnings issued by Professor Sutrid Bakhti of the University of Mainz, uh, who's well worth looking at now, because one of the things he foresaw, for instance, was the huge, terrible impact on the healthy old mm-hmm. who would face a life of isolation and, uh, but also the general impact. And, and I thought these people were speaking certainly enough sense to be given a hearing. And what, what I noticed was that they were not being given a hearing. And I was relying on them, who knew people who knew much more about me, both about viruses and about, um, and about immunology and about statistics. And they seemed to think there was something wrong. And I thought this was a case worth making. And then when I came up against quite considerable sort of general disapproval of what I was doing, of an angry nature. Mm. I've had a rule for a long time. If my opponent is angry with me, then he's angry because he suspects I may be right. Yes. Uh, it's, it's almost invariable. I remember being like that myself, because I'm one of the, I have a, must have a certificate somewhere. I, I'm one of the few people who has actually changed his mind. And in the process of doing so, I found that I was often very angry with mm. people who were expressing my inmost mm. doubts. And if you've got a good case, why get angry? What would be the point? Mm. There's, but the, when I started facing anger, I thought, there's something going on here that, that I need to persist with.
0: Do you think, we're, if you, we're now in the middle of December, and this is going out, would you have thought we would be in this position
1: in December, back in March? No, I had no idea it was going to go on this long or be so profound or so serious. And my imagination simply didn't encompass Uh, the the depths to which we've sunk and the level of damage that we've done to ourselves, it simply didn't cross my mind that it would ever be said that.
0: But do you think that what has happened is pure incompetence, you know, uh, because there are a lot of things around now, you hear a lot about the idea of a great reset, for example, uh, that this is being used. Uh, Do you think this is entirely, because people make the point often that this is an international thing, so basically it's not just that this country has gone crazy or whatever, but do you put it down just to complete incompetence or just the rottenness of the British state?
1: Well, a lot of my experience in reporting over the years, particularly of the the British political system and the British political class, has led me to believe that incompetence and stupidity are are, are neglected explanations for, for what goes on. I don't think the people in, 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 in government who were responsible for taking the major decisions back in March are particularly competent or particularly wise or experienced. And I think that people, once they've made a serious mistake, are very mm-hmm. loath to admit it, and so they continue. You've probably been in a car with somebody who's too proud to admit he's taken a wrong turning mm-hmm. and will drive for miles in the wrong direction rather than admit that he's made a mistake. That's, that's the kind of position we're in, where we have a, a, a proud, arrogant and vain driver who will not admit that he took a wrong turning in March mm-hmm. and so drives us on on the hope that somehow he'll get back to where we were, but w- without actually making the, the, the simple, uh, taking the simple action which, which would, it would achieve that, he won't do that. Uh, so I think that I've seen no evidence of any other explanation. It's also not quite true that everybody else has done it. Uh, I note particularly, uh, obviously, the, the Swedish example, which everybody gives, which is complicated, but clearly, there, the, the primacy of, the, of, of an actual uh, serious scientist, and Anders at the head of policy, with, n- with the government unable to tell him what to do, has made a big difference. Mm. But also, a neglected country in this is Japan. Uh, which, whose constitution prevents it from engaging in the, the kind of thing which a lot of Western countries, including us, have done. And which has had a very low death rate and uh, which has but largely returned to total economic activity in open society by now. Uh, unnoticed and neglected as Japan so often is because its example is often very disturbing to equivalent Western countries who, who realise when they look at Japan how much better they could have done things and don't like to admit it.
0: There are all quite a few areas of the world we don't actually hear very much
1: about. We that, don't, so no we don't. I mean, I often have this in the, in the argument about the legalisation of uh, and de- decriminalisation of cannabis. Mm. Uh, it, when I point out that people say, but it's been proven that s- prohibition doesn't work. As, as a matter of fact, mm. if you go to both Japan and South Korea, you'll find they enforce quite strong laws against uh, marijuana possession and as a result its use is much lower. Mm. And either silence falls or various attempts are made to pretend that Japan or, or, or South Korea are in some way so alien from our experience that they can't possibly be examples, but these are advanced, law-governed, uh, free countries by the standards of, of, of the modern world, and they've achieved things we haven't, and here, here again in Japan. One of the things they seem to have achieved is a, is a great deal uh, higher standard of health among the old.
0: Do you think this is uh, going to go on? Uh, I mean, do you think that even though there have been these sort of vague ideas that all, all restrictions are going to be off in Britain by uh, April or something? Um, I mean, you probably don't like making predictions, but no. do, you, do you see us wearing masks into the future? Or?
1: I think a lot of people would like to. Yeah. I, mu- I, 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 I tend, I get the strong impression that quite a lot of people actively like wearing masks as a symbol of their goodness. Yes. Uh, w- whatever it may be, and I think a lot of people also like to see people wearing masks because it it maintains the atmosphere of crisis, uh, even though it goes well beyond, as, as you've rightly pointed out, the, the the legal requirements of the government. Though those may be extended, I I've never ruled out uh, a, a British government taking the sort of route taken by the, um, the Victorian provincial government in Australia, where. There was practically a sort of dictatorship and mass. You couldn't leave your house without one. Uh, and people were confined to their homes by a pretty severe, uh, I won't call it a police state because it's silly, but by a, a pretty severe use of the strong state uh, against people who you would have thought were living in a free, in a free country, but they turned out not to be. And the events in Melbourne are very disturbing to anybody who, who previously thought that the English tradition of law and liberty would yes. resist that kind of thing. Yes. Do
0: you think that, you mentioned Melbourne now, uh, we're in the centre of London, and uh, just talking before we started, it's, it's dead quiet around here. Do you think that cities now, you know, we're meant to be living in the century of the city, are we not? Uh, do you think that they are basically now going to be in decline
1: because of this? Certainly, I, I mean, if there are, things have been done which may well be irrevocable. I think I've, I've often said that Johnson is the Gerald Ratner of the railways. He's more or less persuaded people that it's too dangerous to travel by train and public transport in general. And the, uh, those of us who do still travel by train see the effect, which is that the trains are largely empty, the stations are largely empty, and the railways have had to be effectively renationalized. And uh, they are now receiving gigantic government subsidies to keep them going. How, how th- can that be maintained? Yeah. Uh, If if people don't go back to work because the other thing that's happened, huge numbers of of employers have discovered that they can dispense with expensive uh, big city offices and get large numbers of their staff to work from home. Are they going to be keen uh, to renew leases on enormous offices when by simply handing out a few laptops they can can tell their staff, actually we don't need you to come in anymore. Avoid a huge expense. So commuting the era of commuting may well be, for many people, and some jobs obviously you have to be there, but for many you don't, may well be at an end. The total transformation of the world of work and a total transformation of the nature of big cities, and particularly a city like London, which has been a commuter city for a long time. The mm. centre of it has been kept alive by people who are coming in by day who leave by night.
0: Has it affected you in that way or were you always working at home?
1: No, no, I don't work from home. Um, I've, I've worked from home for the minimum period during this. Uh, I'm, I, d- during the initial period I, I felt, I, I thought it was pretty much impossible to go into the office and so I didn't but as soon as it was possible I went back and I've been going into work daily for some months now.
0: What's been happening as well during this period has been what I would call a pretty intensive cultural onslaught. Uh, I don't know whether you see it that way. I know you've talked about our institutions. You wrote very recently about the case in Eden with the schoolmaster, and yeah. but that, that's pretty much one of a kind, you know, of what's been going uh, on for no, a long I time. No, I think it's, it, th-
1: the thing is that it, th- that would have happened anyway, whether this is mm. going on or not. Uh, and probably the same amount of fuss made about it. What well I wrote was about the misunderstanding that people have. Uh, that this is, still a, uh, this is still a live war, uh, in which conservatives are actually fighting against the, the sort of people who want to shut down uh, dissenting opinions among school teachers. That battle's been lost, and the law has been passed. The Equality Act of 2010 has been passed, and that is the instrument uh, by which uh, the old, all the old ideas of, 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 of an older country were dethroned, and a new set of ideas were enthroned, and the law will now back them. Uh, which and uh, particularly in places like schools mm. uh, but in the state schools the from the the letters and emails and calls I receive from parents of pupils at state schools complaining about the sort of political indoctrination to which they're subjected this has been going on for a very long time yeah. and th- th- that anybody should be surprised that it should arrive at, at Eton uh, it amazes me I mean, Eton is not Im- immune from these immense pressures just because it charges enormous fees and has a fancy dress uniform.
0: I suppose it's why I was thinking as well of the response of our museums and institutions to the Black Lives Matter protests, and it, it's the speed with which there was this capitulation, or at least, shall we say, coming out and sort of almost declaring their hands. You know, it's almost these people have been there for a long time, but they used this period
1: period. but i think again you need to be unobservant not to have noticed it before i mean andrew roberts's complaints about what was done to the to the national army museum for instance but anybody who's an enthusiastic museum goer as am i will have noticed over the years increasing uh, correction and uh, and purging of museums to make them into organs of propaganda for the new uh, the, the new cultural regime and I, I've been warning about this since 1999. I can't tell you. Uh, w- one of the few pleasures I have in life is saying, I told you so. And I told everybody so. I, said mm-hmm. I wrote my book, The Abolition of Britain, in 1998, 1999, in the, v- in the belief that I was issuing a warning uh, that people might act on. Uh, as, as it happens, I was writing an obituary for something, for, for a country which had already effectively died. Nobody gave a damn or cared in the slightest. And tw- 20 years later, the thing has now got an iron grip on every institution and every current of thought. And I'm totally unsurprised by this. Why would you be the, the say, the, it, it's, it's like allowing termites to burrow into every part of a building for years and years and years and failing completely to combat this, even though you know it's going on. And then being surprised when the building collapses before your eyes. It's been coming a long time and now it's here.
0: Would you? I told you, sir. Yes. W- would you therefore sort of go along with the gramscian idea that essentially there has been an infiltration or there should have well, it, it, should it gives it right? it
1: gives it too much direction to call it an infiltration I and mean, what happens is that an education was a, d- a generation was educated in the late 1960s and early 1970s uh, in d- in in the new ideas which emerged fundamentally from Euro which was itself a growth out of 1968, both out of Prague and Paris. Mm. Out of Paris, the cultural sexual revolution. Out of Prague, the realization that, that, that old-fashioned communism was finished. Mm. And that if, if if socialism was to make any progress, it had to cast completely to one side all the old Bolshevik rubbish and return uh, to much more exciting cultural 1789, 1848, 1871 roots, which it did. Uh, The revolution ceased to be a Leninist uh, business of working class seizure of Mm. of the barracks and the post office and the the railway station and became a middle class seizure of the television studio and the newspaper and the university. And When these people who emerged from their universities in the late 60s and early 70s arrived at positions of influence, then they began to exert that influence. Why wouldn't they? That's what they thought, that's what they wanted, It's what they believed in.
0: But, but you and
1: they'd be brought up to believe in it and educated to believe in it in the, in the great uh, revolutionary times of the 60s. And nothing had ever happened since then to put them off it.
0: But you, uh, is, I, I believe, I particularly think that the Blair government was crucial in this respect. Well, the
1: Blair government was the political moment. Of course, What had happened, the, the cultural, all the cultural and moral changes have pretty much already happened. Uh, but what the what infuriated the left was that they couldn't get the political and state power. Mm. And once they got the state power, it w- the moment, you, you must remember the moment when the, w- the Blair uh, government took power, uh, the, the BBC, which had long been in the hands of people of this kind, treated it as if it was a moment of joy and glory, it was a new dawn. Uh, they, we had aerial film of, of Blair's boring car going to Buckingham Palace. Uh, we had a completely uncritical uh, recording of the, the fake demonstration in Downing Street, which anybody who knew anything about London must have known it was a fake, because normal human beings can't get into Downing Street, of people waving Union Jacks. Because all the people who were waving those Union Jacks hated the Union Jack, which by then, for them, become a a, a symbol of heaven knows what. But they agreed to wave them, because that was what they were asked to do. And all this was reported as if it was, as I say, a new dawn uh, by a BBC, and it was welcomed by the Academy, it was welcomed by, by, by apparently everybody in the cultural world as the beginning of something new and it was because the state was now in control and below, uh, within 15 years uh huge numbers of things had been changed and the word husband had disappeared from official documents the the whole idea of the institution of lifelong marriage was pretty much in the bin the sexual revolution was was well underway and then the crowning moment of course was the was the equality act of 2010 which harriet mm. harman piloted Through the the House of Commons, with what I might say was very slight opposition from her Tory opposite number, Theresa May, who was later praised by Trevor Phillips for her uh, keen enthusiasm for politically correct causes.
0: Can you explain, actually, Peter? I mean, a lot of people hear about things like the Equalities Act, and they don't really know. What was, what was it just, what, how did it set up the
1: situation? Well, let me give a simple example of one which is, is, is very telling. I mean, people think this is a Christian country by, by law and nature, and for many centuries it was. And if you look, as I advise people to do, if they're trying to, to get to the grips of what the British Constitution really is, at the coronation service itself, clearly a, a profoundly and explicitly Protestant Christian ceremony. Uh, which which declares the nature of this country and what sort of country it's like. So if you then get an act of parliament which says that basically all religions are equal, now you may say that you find that an attractive idea if you don't yourself either adhere to Christianity or you don't adhere to any religion at all, or you you adhere to another one, and you say, well good, Uh, why shouldn't all religions be equal? That's a point of view, Uh, I don't happen to share it, but it's a point of view I can quite understand people holding, but if you do that, uh, while proclaiming that what you're doing is creating equality between religions, you are actually dethroning Christianity as the principle. And that's an example of it. And there are these protected characteristics. Now again, you say, well, of course I hate discrimination against women and I hate racial discrimination, and, and and frankly, who doesn't? But the protected characteristics go much further than just disapproving of, 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 of the hatred and discrimination against the people who are named, they actually give those protected characteristics a special a special status which means that anybody who can be deemed to have uh, attacked them, not you know, by your standards of mine they may not have done so, anybody who can be deemed to have attacked or threatened them uh, is thereby in danger of losing his or her job or in, in some other way being punished. It's the basis of a whole new, author that, a whole new idea of what is good and what is bad and what is wrong and what is right. Set beside it, the MacPherson report into the Stephen Lawrence murder mm. uh, with this extraordinary declaration. So it's, it's, it actually comes out specifically against colorblind policing. Mm. Uh, and it says that, any, that a racialist incident is anybody which, anything which anybody believes to be one. And you have a subjective form of, uh, of justice written into the Constitution. The, the, the consequences of these changes are huge mm. and spread out over everything that's you know, so the way people can and do behave and they're, they're vast people didn't notice them at the time
0: you know uh, of course uh, they're
1: presented as okay. and it, you know, the, the, part, mm. undoubtedly mm. parts of this are attractive mm.
0: you, you can't
1: you, you, uh, you, you, you can't you, you can't say well actually no i, I want uh, i want this to be more racial discrimination <laughs> that's mm. disgusting You mm. can say and so if, if somebody says well this law will mean there's less of it. It's very hard to oppose uh, even though there is an element in it which has nothing to do with opposition to racial discrimination and actually simply is, is, is in the business of enthroning a new ideology and, yes. and, and changing the nature of law.
0: So for example, to come right up to date with this Eden situation, they are fo- falling foul of the law.
1: They've, so. fall of, they've fallen foul specifically of the Equality Act of 2010. When the headmaster uh, and, the, and the provost, I believe, consulted uh, their lawyers, who I doubt very much were cheap or in, un- inexperienced lawyers, uh, what the, those lawyers came out and said was that they were in danger of breach of the Equality Act 2010, uh, which is specifically, uh, just in case anyone was in any doubt, specifically applied to private schools uh, by a statutory instrument mm. uh, which was then approved by a the, by the, the recent conservative government. So there isn't any doubt that it applies,
0: you know, when people uh, read about that, or when they read about the BBC and the Proms, when they read about the British Library, the British Museum, this, um, I have to say, I'm, I don't know what kind of correspondence you get, but there is a level of dismay amongst people. Um, I get emails, what do we do? We know this is happening, what do we do? Peter, I mean, if people come to you and ask that, what do you say to them? What, when they say, but what can we do? Well, I asked it?
1: them how they voted in 2010. Right. And most of them say I voted conservative, and I say, well, that's what you voted for. Right. Uh, now you've got it. Tough. I'm afraid. I mean, I have. Th- this is in what happened. The, this is the other crucial part of the Blair revolution, uh, which again I detailed in uh, particularly in my my book, *The, um, the Cameron Delusion*. Uh, the huge efforts devoted by the Labour Party, which had long wanted to do this, I have to say. Uh, to ensure that what it did would never be reversed and the method that it chose was to was to browbeat and bludgeon the Conservative Party into adopting the Labour Party's programme and that is largely what the, was it the 2001 election, one that was postponed by foot and mouth, that was largely what it was about, mm-hmm. uh, was, was, was absolutely pounding the Tory party so hard that they w- would never dare uh, stand again on a Conservative programme and then the Th- this reached its o- eventual triumph with the the election of David Cameron as the leader of the Conservative Party on what was clearly a programme of basically Blairising mm. the Tory Party, uh, which he then did, and the Tory Party became so Blairite that the BBC was prepared to actually back it more or less, which I believe <laughs> did in the 2010 election, and that was it. They had permission, uh, having become a Blairite party, they had permission to enter government again. And the BBC's only disappointment was that they didn't win outright. I think mm. uh, they were preparing; they had all the all the camera angles ready for a triumphal arrival of David Cameron in Downing Street. But alas, he couldn't win a majority, so they couldn't do that.
0: I mean, do you do you think? I think you've said uh, that basically conservatism only stands a chance if the, when the Tory Party goes. Is that right?
1: Well, yes, yeah, so my my view has been if if if, if the Conservative Party w- w- were your were your car, it would be permanently beside the road emitting clouds of steam and smoke. If the Conservative Party were your accountant, you'd be bankrupt, and if the Conservative Party were your lawyer, you'd be in jail. I, in every area that it, it, that it, that it operates, it does uh, it completely fails to fulfill the promises, mm. that the very mild promises which it makes. It's a useless and worse than useless organization, and it lies like a great uh, rotting hulk. Uh, across the, the path of, of proper conservatism and I, I spent seven long hard years before 2010 trying to persuade people that this the most vital thing that you could possibly do if you wanted to fight new was to get rid of the conservative party and build a properly conservative formation and I might as well have wasted my breath I, particularly I remember a meeting of the Bruges group for heaven's sake which I was invited to address I think think it was in 2009, I made this point to a group of people who regarded themselves as conservative. And my on David Cameron was greeted with such non-enthusiasm that I began to believe in global cooling, the temperature of the room fell by several degrees Fahrenheit. And I got almost no applause at all. And many of the people who were present there have written to me subsequently saying, but you were right. And I said, of course I was right, I knew I was right. Mm. I told you, but you wouldn't take any notice. Mm. That's why I have no sympathy with any of them now. I mean, I d- there is, politics has moments. That if, the t- if the Tory party had properly lost, it, it did lose the 2010 election, remember. If it had properly lost it in such a humiliating way that, uh, that, uh, that, that it, c- it couldn't get I- into office, then that would have been that. The fundraisers wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been able to operate. They couldn't have raised anything. The party would have collapsed. There would have been a space. In that space, it yes. would have been possible. Yeah. It w- there would then have been the, the necessary condition for the creation of a genuinely conservative movement. Uh, But what I would call roughly a a British goalist movement, which is what I would favour having, uh, there would have been the space for that to happen. Uh, It wouldn't have been guaranteed that it would happen, but what was absolutely certain was that it wouldn't happen if the Tory party survived. Mm -hmm. All those people who voted to save the Tory party in 2010 saved Blairism.
0: What are the chances of something happening now? In my
1: view, zero. I mean, I've, I've been saying for some time the country is finished. I keep going to my publishers and saying, "Will you please put my put my books together into one huge Dominic Sandbrook-sized breeze block called the obituary of Britain? It's all over." But the
0: probably. abolition yeah. of Britain
1: is actually
0: still oh,
1: in it, print, isn't it sells more and more. Uh, it probably sells more now than when it first came out. Uh, people reading, discovering finally what uh, might be some use to them 20 years ago, but is, is now just reminiscence.
0: Well, when you say Britain's it's had
1: it, Britain's finished,
0: yep. uh, is it just Britain or is it
1: the West? Well I, I, I'm not going to go into it, I, I know uh, this is the country I know best, it's just the one that I've researched, this is the one where I live, this is the one I most uh, urgently care about. And I've been saying for years, people say what should I do? I say leave. And people laugh, they think mm. I'm joking, I was mm. never joking, mm. I meant it. If I were 30 I would have left long ago. Mm. I've never seen a country more finished. and I've seen some finished countries. Do you think people care? They don't understand. Mm. They don't understand. And this is the, the real problem in all this is that people don't understand. And I, I sometimes think that you have to have had a Marxist, Leninist, Bolshevik training to understand politics. Most people haven't had one. They, 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 they believe. They're <laughs> terrible at believing what they're told. Mm which also von Bismarck long ago was against. You, said, you know, you've never believe anything until it's been officially denied. It's a watchword, particularly for journalists, but it seems to me for any wise citizen. Uh, they believed what they were being told. They believed the, the appearance instead of the substance of things. Uh, they believed slogans. They believed brand names. And people, for goodness sake, in this country, they buy instant mashed potato. Well, if you could sell them instant mashed potato, you can sell them anything, you? including the Conservative Party.
0: When you say it's finished, does that not affect how you live your life? Well, I,
1: I, I, I'm a fortunate person. I, mean, I, I but, uh, and I'm, I'm better. I can escape as a result a lot of the consequences from this. But ultimately, I can't escape them all. Um, as I say, if I were in my 30s, I would leave. I, now it's too late for me to remake a new life. I don't believe in going to other people's countries and... And becoming a parasite there, you have to go there and work and make a living and pay your way and pay your taxes. Whatever. The other thing about leaving is, of course, that you you don't feel so keenly responsible for and so deeply wounded by the the the, the destruction of what you love going on all around you. Mm. It's it's a different thing. You you become an exile. Uh, but it, it, the truth is, this, this country is in such a mess that and recent um, events have deepened that mess quite considerably, particularly the economic aspect of it. Uh, that, that's that been my view. I can't, I, I can't escape it.
0: Mm. What about the chance, it's dying on my lips as I say it, but what about the chance of a new political party? Do you, do you think there's any chance for that? Would yeah. that restore mm. some sort of faith? Not faith, I'm not saying you don't have faith,
1: optimism. I have political faith. Faith mm. is not a thing for politics. Um, uh, temporal faith is a, is, a, is a folly in my view, But. The thing is here, this is a practical thing, in the two-party system, and I approve of the two-party system very strongly, I think it's essential to liberty to have two more or less equally matched parties uh, striving against each other, one always ready to take over from the other, In the inch of difference between them is where we all live, and if we don't have that, then we we lose something huge. Also, I think uh, uh, proportional representation is a recipe for permanent liberal coalition government, post-election coalition, in which to public have no say whatsoever I Mm. find that repulsive I don't don't want it Uh, but if you have a two-party system you can't create a new party until there's a vacancy the Labour Party arose out of the decay and collapse of the Liberal Party Mm. and until the Tory party collapses there won't be any vacancy for another conservative formation And otherwise people you can set up I could go home now I could set up a political party so-called but it would bear the same relation to a real political party as a Hornby 00 train set bears to the old London and North Eastern Railway. Mm. Uh, fun to play with, uh, but absolutely pointless mm. for any, any, any serious purpose. You're not going to get to Newcastle on time on it. Uh,
0: you, you have, I think referred to yourself today, as, a, as a Britain's obituary right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's quite a long death
1: throw, so: Well, they often hour, aren't they? There's a, there's a lot of ruin in a nation, as Adam mm. Smith, but mm. I, I don't think he foresaw there was quite as much ruin as there was. But we, look at us. Look at, the, look at the spending of the current chancellor.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Look at the borrowing. Look at the destruction of so much of the, uh, of, of the service economy mm. on which we had become dependent. How can this have a good outcome? Go, go down to Felixstowe. I, I, I rang them up a few years ago I said how many of the containers coming into Felixstowe are full I said all of them I said how many of them going out of Felixstowe are full and they said well quite a few are empty and quite a few of those that are full are just full of garbage being exported to China for recycling there is no balance between between what we make mm-hmm. and what we buy we are not paying our way and people say, oh, well, these days you can create money relentlessly, and it doesn't matter. The, the, the world has changed. It didn't have this ridiculous Thatcherite housewife idea of economics. But I'm sorry. Once a nation gets a reputation for not paying its bills, uh, then eventually the, 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 world's other, uh, the world's lenders, the people who buy the bonds, start looking askance of what you've done, and I would think quite possibly the the way in which this will affect us most abruptly will be in a decline in the value of the pound sterling. Argentina, this is amazing, Argentina was once one Mm. of the the great hopes of the world. Mm. It was a country which people thought was going to be possibly the equal of, of even the United States in economic power. But it chose to follow foolish and dangerous economic and political paths, and now, it's scrabbling on the, uh, on, on, the, on the upper limits of the third world. Mm-hmm. This can happen to c- countries can actually d- destroy their prosperity. and I, I, d- I, d- I don't believe mm-hmm. the figures uh, of, of spending money that we haven't got and borrowing money that we can't afford to pay the interest on if it goes up even by half a percent, uh, enormous beyond all bearing, incomparable with any peacetime behavior before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I can't believe that people are so undisturbed by this.
0: Perhaps they simply don't understand.
1: Well, I don't know, I, but either that or there's a huge willingness to pretend that it doesn't matter.
0: It's, it's interesting, you know, when you look at the uh, superficiality of day-to-day politics, people, no. li- people like, the, not that you do very much, but people like the Chancellor are seen as somehow being this sort of very bright, great white hope for the future. And yet, in fact, sh- probably what they're doing is the most
1: irresponsible thing imaginable, surely. Well, the only thing is, is, in response to that, of course, is that Rishi Sunak is probably one of the people in the government who is most aware of the danger that the mm. government is courting and who, and who, by being inside it, possibly restrains it from greater follies. Mm. It's not much of a comfort to me. No. Uh, I, w- one can't doubt that the man's intelligent. Uh, I suspect he knows more than he says. But would it be better if he parachuted out of the government and handed over the treasury to somebody who believed in all this stuff? Mm. Hardly. Yeah. Uh, but it's a choice between between worse and worse, doesn't it, rather than bad and good.
0: And, uh, and <coughs> as for Boris, uh, he, uh, we're still calling him Boris.
1: I call him Johnson. Dolphin. I won't, I won't <laughs> give him an honorific and I, won't yes. certain, I certainly won't use his, his stage Christian name, which isn't even the one he uses among friends. Yes.
0: But therefore, if, if prognosis is as bleak as that, then he's sort of quite a fitting emblem, is he not? How do you mean? Well, in the sense that, you know, there's this sort of person who came along who essentially is possibly just an act, maybe, with very little depth behind it.
1: Well, I think that's true, uh, but that's, you know, that hasn't ruled out quite a lot of other people from being prime minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I always thought that Blair was, um, was essentially an act, mm. and that the real the real power and decision-making in his government took place elsewhere, but it didn't matter so much, because he, he certainly didn't face or attempt to deal with anything like this. Mm. Uh, but I, it's I, I, in, in his case, I think, it th- was a complete misunderstanding of the kind of person he was. I think, have I got news for you, and I'm not joking here, bears a very heavy responsibility for creating him as a famous person. As a figure in politics uh, with a higher reputation than he could possibly have got in any other way, mm. uh, it would have saved both him and us from a lot of trouble if they hadn't done that.
0: Well, life is funny like that, isn't it? Um, Peter, thank you very, very much again for coming in. Uh, and and um, I hope, well, I, I, I hope we don't have to talk about the progress of what's happening with the pandemic in six months' time, but I. Do hope maybe you come back next year.
1: Well, if you're happy to have me, yes, I'm ready to come. Always happy. Nice of you to ask.
0: You know, and uh, you're always welcome. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Um, that's it for this week. Please subscribe, won't you? And we shall see you next time. Thank you.